Let us turn now to the passage we read, the Gospel according to John, chapter 6, verse 37. John 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. In the marvelous discourse on the lips of our Lord that, our, that this uh, chapter brings to our attention, there are many, many glorious and wonderful truths. Amongst them is this one, that unaided man cannot come to God. It emphasizes man's spiritual impotence, his inability to come in faith to God. And uh, as I mentioned, this is emphasized over and over again by our Lord in this particular discourse. The same emphasis that you get from his lips in the words addressed to Nicodemus recorded for us in chapter 3 of this uh, same gospel. And you know that uh, this is one of the great truths at the heart of the Bible, that God alone can save the sinner. Only God can draw him to Christ. And uh, this comes very much to the fore in the context in which our text is set. Now, of course, there are many people who would use such a teaching and such a statement as a, a cushion for their own uh, indolence with reference to salvation. Well, if I can't save myself, if I haven't got a part to play in it, if this God alone can save, if I can't come to Christ, if I can't believe, so on and so on, well, what's the point? And uh, the, uh, there is a sense in which uh, people could say that uh, a passage as this, such as this, and a text such as this, brings no encouragement whatsoever to the sinner who needs to be saved. I hope in the course of the service that that you will be dispelled, because it comes to us with great encouragement. He that, him that cometh unto me, says Jesus, I will in no wise cast out. Now, as God is the author of salvation, as God alone saves, you will see the various ways in which Jesus brings that teaching and that emphasis to the fore in this discourse. And he does it by using very well-known terms. He speaks, for example, in the words of our text, of the uh, Father giving sinners to himself. 
all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And there he establishes this truth, that no one comes to the Son, no one comes to Christ, unless the Father gives them to Christ. So we have there emphasized for us the giving of the Father. But in the same context, he speaks of those whom the Father gives to the Son as being taught by the Father. No man, he says in verse 44, can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. That's another thing we learn, that the person who comes to, to, to Jesus is not only given to Jesus by the Father, but is taught by the Father. And another term he uses in the same context is this, that all those who come are taught and are drawn by the Father. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me drawn. So there's another term that he uses. So, so far we have the, the Father giving to the Son, the Father teaching those who come to the Son, the Father drawing those who come to the Son. And the other term you have is this, very well known in the New Testament. It runs, it almost hits you in every text and every verse, every verse in this passage. They come, those who are given, those who are taught, those who are drawn, come to the Son. This is what they do. They come to the Son. And then there is this marvelous encouragement for all such. Those who come, he will in no wise cast out. He receives all who come to him. And I would like, just for a little while tonight, to look with you at these four or five terms that I've brought before you. The Father giving, the Father teaching, the Father drawing, the sinner coming, and Christ receiving. And all this was in the context of the salvation of the sinner. Let us then look at it very briefly. First of all, the Father, no man, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, I know that generally, normally, we would think in terms of this with reference to the predestinating or the the, 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 um, the, um, the predestinating act of God from all eternity. God decreed that uh, the Son would have a people for whom he came into the world to die. We know that the Bible lays that emphasis on this giving as well. It puts, points our way back to, if you want to use the term, to a past eternity. There's no such thing, but we use these terms as reminds can I comment on this? God from all eternity elected some to everlasting life. Now there's no way you can get rid of that teaching from the Bible unless you cut it out, unless you cut the various pages with a scissors. So we have that teaching in the Bible. From all eternity, God elected some to everlasting life. And Jesus himself says that he came to lay it down his life for those given to him by his Father. My Father gave them unto me, and I laid down my life for them. He came to die 
for those bequeathed or covenanted to him are given to him in the covenant from all eternity by God. The Father gave them to the Son from all eternity. It points us back to the decree, the electing act of God, the act of his will. But in this context, it is suggested that it can mean something else. It is what the God the Father does to the sinner who is taught and who is drawn and who comes to Jesus, he gives him. He gives him, or as someone has put it, he donates him to the Father. The Father giving this sinner of whom Jesus speaks to himself. It is what you may refer to, what you may say is the, the culminating act of God in the experience of and in the interests of this sinner. It is the culmination of the process. God has come to this individual. He has taught him. He has drawn him. He brings him to Jesus and he gives him to the Lord. It is the giving which is the result of the teaching and the drawing by God of this individual. They, as someone has put it, they are presented to Christ as trophies of the redemption which Christ himself has purchased. If you look at verse 65, for example, you read this. Therefore said Jesus, therefore I say unto you, no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. And there you have it. God gave this man the disposition to come to Jesus and God gifts him in the act of salvation to the Son. He gives him to Christ. Now, the question that follows is how does this happen? And Jesus answers that question for us. And that's what leads us to the second point. It happens as a result of the teaching that God gives them. The teaching under which they come. He is taught by God. And as he is taught, he is drawn by God so that God will give him to Christ in this saving act. The teaching he receives from God draws. No man can come to me, he says, except the Father which hath sent me draw. Because, as you notice written in the prophets, they shall be all taught of God. Everyone therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. And no person can come to Christ till God so teaches him. Now, what exactly does this involve? Well, I'm sure you don't agree with this. We all need to be taught the truth about God and the truth about ourselves. 
And as we heard here, I'll just remember just now what we heard here from Principal Graham at the evangelistic services in January. Until we come to know ourselves, we will never come to God. We will never cry to God until we come to know our need of God. And we won't cry to God until we are taught that that is the one we are to cry to. We cannot come unless we are taught. So here we are, in the words of our Lord, as people who need to be taught. Why? Well, in the first place, as this passage tells us, because our thinking is all wrong. We are prejudiced. And we have to have our prejudices removed. We are ignorant. Our thinking is distorted. And we have to be enlightened. And we have to be put right. Now, let's see where he tells us that in this particular context. For a start, we need to be reminded of the reality of eternal things. When these people came to Jesus, they made their way to him. He said this to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labour not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. And what Jesus is telling him is this. You're not thinking in terms of God, in terms of eternity, in terms of spiritual life, in terms of heaven. You're materialistic, you're worldly. You're taking up with yourselves with the things that are seen and the things that are temporal. So he begins to teach them. You need to get your priorities right. You need to get God into your thinking, into your life, to give him the paramount place, the important place, place of priority in your life. Do you not need to be taught that? Well, I do. And this is what Jesus begins with these people. That he alone can meet the longing of the heart. He alone can feed the mind. He alone can bring light into the darkness and life where there is death. So he begins to teach them. And then he teaches them the necessity of faith. He said unto them, well then, what will we do that we might work the works of God? And he answered, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They need to be taught the necessity of saving faith. That it's only by faith in Christ that we come to receive eternal life. And he lays it on the line for them. There is no salvation apart from faith in him. We must believe if we are to be saved. This is what you have to do, he says. Believe on him whom he has sent. And you know if there is anything at all that you know from the Bible, you know that surely. That to be saved, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. So you are taught that lesson. Together with that you need to be taught this lesson. Thirdly, you need to be taught the sufficiency of faith. Well, they said unto him, oh, What sign then will you show us that we might believe? 
what can we see from you to help us to believe our man, our father faith man on the desert? Jesus answered them, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Jesus here emphasizing the sufficiency of faith unto salvation. We need to believe. And that is all that we need. God doesn't ask any more of you than to believe. And that's what makes salvation so difficult. Show us a sign. The Corinthians said the same. The Greeks were saying the same. The Jews were saying the same in Paul's day. Give us proof. Give us evidence. It's not enough to have this record. Not enough to be told that we must believe. We need more than that. No, you don't. You will never get any more than that. You want to see something, you won't see it. You want to hear something, you won't hear it. You want a miracle to prove to you what you want to believe. You won't get it. You have it all here in the Word of God. And God commands you to believe. So they are taught the sufficiency of faith. And then they are taught for the sufficiency of Christ as the object of faith. Jesus presents himself here as the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You will never require anything else but Christ. There is sufficient in the Lord Jesus Christ as the object of faith. To meet your need as a sinner. All the forgiveness and all the cleansing. And all the spiritual sustenance. And all the spiritual satisfaction you will ever require is in him. You need no more. So they are taught the sufficiency of Christ. And then they are taught the necessity of the sufferings of Christ. And you know the passage abounds with reference to this. I am come, he says, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And I am come eh, that, eh, to lay down my life. He goes on to speak of himself as the, the bread, as his, his, his flesh, as the bread, his blood, as a drink. He presents himself in his sufferings unto death as the object of faith. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. It was necessary for him to come in our nature, to suffer in our nature, to die on the cross that we might be saved. We are taught that. Christ becomes the object of faith. And then we are taught something else, the uniqueness of this person. These people have heard him speak. They looked on an amazement and they said, how can this man tell us these things? Is he not the son of Joseph? Do we not know his father and mother? How is it that he said, I came down from heaven? And they, need to, they needed to be taught that he was no ordinary individual. He was far more than the son of Joseph. This is a problem with a lot of people. They see nothing in Christ to attract them. No uniqueness to draw. He is like everybody else. As a matter of fact, 
in the eyes of the majority, he is less than the ordinary. There is nothing in him to draw them. What they have is far more than what Christ himself can give. So they need to be taught there that he is unique, that he is great, that he is greater than anyone and anything that they have ever seen or ever had. And they need to be taught the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, the distinctiveness of Christ, and the desirability of Jesus Christ, and the impossibility of being saved other than through faith in Jesus Christ. They need to be taught of the graciousness of God, that God should bother with a sinner who doesn't want God, that God should come into the life to teach someone who is an enemy, who is opposed to the teaching. They need to be taught the wonder of his grace and the wonder of his love, that he has provided such salvation, that he has gone to such lengths to send his son, that from all eternity this should have originated in the mind of the Almighty, for I have not seen Neither has the ear heard what God has prepared for them that love God's preparation from all eternity of a method of grace beyond the conception of the most wonderful human ingenuity. No person could have thought of this. God has done this and God alone and God calls the sinner to himself. We, need, we, we are taught the wonder of his grace. But before you come to Christ, you've got to get a grip with these things. You've got to know that you need him. And you've got to come to him. And you've got to know that you'll come to no one else. And as God teaches, so thirdly, God draws. The teaching of itself draws. Isn't it amazing how often you hear this? Some person gives his testimony and he tells you how he is converted. And very often someone who was I used to come into church will tell you I used to come to church day in, day out, year in, year out, and the same old story. I found it quite boring actually. So they will say. But I wanted to come, I had to come, maybe my parents took me, or very often we hear youngsters saying today, my parents forced me to go. I don't think they force you at all. They teach you and they encourage you and they instruct you to come to the house of God. And my friend, very soon you may not have these parents with you. And then you may regret bitterly the many days you resented that they were taking you to church with them. I'm sure that there are people in the church tonight who wish now that their parents were sitting beside them, but they're not. You value, and I'm speaking tonight to children particularly, you value highly the example that they're setting before you. And you thank God that you have such parents. There are many parents in the world tonight who couldn't care less where the children are on the Lord's day. How thankful you, when you go home tonight, thank God that he gave you parents who bother about your spiritual interests.
coming back to the testimony. They tell you that they were listening, they came to church and the Bible teaching ministers, well, depending, you see, if a minister bawled and shouted, they might like him, but if someone was quiet, they didn't uh, like that party. They liked stories and that kind of thing. But as for the gospel, another word was penetrating. And then I discovered something. Started going to church and the services began to appeal to me. I found the time flying, flying by. And uh, some of the things that are being preached began to appeal. I began to understand. And the strange thing was, I, I was drawn by this. I could hardly wait till next Sunday. And as weeks passed, they would then wish that maybe they could go to a weekly meeting, but they didn't like to. People would say that they had become religious all of a sudden. They didn't want people to say that, but they longed to hear the truth. And what it was was this, as Jesus tells at the end of this chapter, the spirit alone quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. What God was saying, the word of God was coming to them with power, with light, with meaning, with conviction. It was beginning to mean something. They were beginning to need it, feel their need of it. They were feeding on the truth, delighting in the truth. It was becoming relevant. And as I saw the hand of God, without realizing it, was being laid on them. There was a holy constraint placed upon them. They were being drawn, not dragged, but drawn. Drawn, as the Old Testament tells us, with cords of love, with the bonds of a man. Drawn imperceptibly. And God was so gracious in drawing. Which one of us deserved to be drawn? We who were so unworthy, so hell-deserving, so loathsome in ourselves, so guilty in the presence of God, God-hating and not wanting God, hostile to him, an enemy to him. We were God was closed out of our lives. We didn't want him in. Very graciously God came in. And this is the wonder of the grace of God, that any sinner should be drawn to him through the word. And this is what happens. The word comes with power. God teaches, and as he teaches, so he draws. For what purpose? That they might forthly come to Christ. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. He teaches them, he draws them, so that they may come as those given to me by himself. Now what does this mean, coming to Christ? Well, this is what you and I have to do. You see, it was God who taught us. It was God who drew us. But it was we ourselves who came to Christ. We ourselves. Coming is the result of God's sovereign activity in our life. It is as we read, in, in, as I quoted to you already, verse 65. I say unto you, no man can come except it were given to him of my Father. The disposition to come is given. The desire to come is given. 
our inclinations Godward are changed. We find it then necessary to come. We have no option but to come. This is what we refer to as irresistible grace. We are drawn, he shall come. There is no doubt at all about this. It is the willing movement of the heart. The whole man is caught up in the coming to Christ. His will is renewed. He wants him. Who before he didn't want. He loves him. Who before he couldn't love. And if he can't believe in him, he comes that he may believe in him. If he doesn't come as, a, as he doesn't come by faith, as he does, of course, I'm going to talk the point of view, the feelings of the sinner, because he that cometh unto God must believe. Coming is the result of believing. But he may not feel, he may feel that he has no faith, but there's one thing he does know. He wants faith. And he wants to believe. Lord, I flee to thee. Help me to believe. It is the movement of the whole soul that will make a willing people in a day of thy power. A person whose prejudices have been removed. A person may be at no time for Christ or his cause or his people. Now he has time for nothing else but Christ and his cause and his people. He comes because Christ is desirable. He comes because he must. And he comes to receive salvation on the terms of God. His arms are laid down. His enmity is renewed. He becomes a debtor to the grace of God. And he comes on the basis of the word. Christ receives sinners. I am a sinner I must come because I can go nowhere else. As Peter said at the end of the discourse, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. He comes to Christ as the source of his life, as the bread of life, the water of life, and the one who has the words of life. He comes to him as the one who can feed his soul, who can forgive his sin, Pardon all his iniquity. The one who can give him peace. The one in whom he has his all. This is what Jesus refers to here as seeing. As believing. He comes because he has been taught and drawn by God. To come to Christ. Then finally, there is this. I will in no wise cast out him that cometh to me. The Son receiving the person who comes. Now I think that Jesus here brings before us a beautiful picture. It is a picture of a sinner taught by God and drawn by God to come to Christ and gifted to Christ by God. And you see then the force of the you see the force of the statement, I will in no wise, there is no way in which I would not receive the person who is gifted to me. 
the Son could never refuse. A gift from God. A gift from God. Because, he says, he goes on to tell us here, I came into this world, he says, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And here you have a, a wonderful picture of the relationship in which the Father stands to the Son. God the Father and God the Son in the work of redemption. There is a delight in the heart of God in giving a sinner to Christ. And there is a corresponding delight in the heart of the Son in receiving the sinner from God the Father. How could he refuse anyone who comes to him as being drawn by the Father? He receives him in his loving embrace. He receives him in the arms of his own immutable power. My Father gave them unto me, he said. No man can pluck them out of my hands as those who are given to me by the Father. He receives them to bless and he receives that he may keep them. He receives them with a reception that never fails, that never ebbs and flows. It will never end. You know, when you receive a gift, maybe a very precious gift, you're so excited, you're so taken up with what you receive. Your every moment of that day is taken up with what you got. But in the course of time, the novelty wears off, even with the most precious gifts. But no such novelty attaches, no such wearing off attaches to this. He receives them never to forget. He cannot forget those, as the, New, as the Old Testament tells us, who are engraven upon the palms of his hands. He will never forget them. They are sheltered under the shadow of his wing, as we sang here in Psalm 91. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, that his love to them will never end. It can never be destroyed. It can never be changed. It can never be altered. They are always sheltered in the arms of his love. And he gives this added assurance. I will raise him up, he says, at the last day. Three or four times, he meant three times, verses 39, verse 40, and verse 44, he speaks of those who come in faith to him, he will receive them, and I will raise him up at the last day. Why that reference? Well, do you see the significance of it? Here is the first act in the path of salvation for us, coming in faith to Christ. And here is the last act on his part in completing that process of salvation at the day of the resurrection. He will raise him up. So the salvation which began when we believed in him will be completed when we are raised by him to receive in all its blessed fullness completed salvation in body and in soul. And between that first step and the last act, he keeps us in his own omnipotent embrace. And from the time that we come to him, 
He will give us all needed grace for the way that lies ahead. He will support us. He will protect us. He will allow nothing to come between us and himself. Nothing that will sever us from the arms of his embrace. Ah, oh, my friend, if it be, if it be that you're a believer in Christ, oh, the folly of bringing things into your life whose principle it is solely to sever you from Christ. You remember that sin and every semblance of sin and every assault by the devil in your life has that as its purpose to break you away from the Lord. And if it be that you are a Christian here tonight and you are still in the path of obedience to his grace you are there because he has kept you. Hitherto hath the Lord helped. I will in no wise cast out. Here they are then, taught of God, brought by God, given to the Son by God, kept by the Son, comforted and delivered kept in the arms of his love to the very end of the process of salvation and you say there is no encouragement in the teaching of Christ in this passage I don't know a passage that comes with greater encouragement for me to come to Christ because all I need I have in him and all that I need from the time that I come to the time that I die, I will have from him. And all that I look for to the day of the resurrection, I have in him. Have you got anything better? Have you got something greater tonight than the Lord Jesus Christ? You remember this, my friend. There is no one that you need more. And there is no one tonight who would welcome you more if you come. I know you're unworthy. We all are. But you are nevertheless welcome to come to the Savior. And if you come, he will in no wise cast you out. Let us pray. Oh, to thou bless to us thy truth. And in thy mercy, O God, do thou draw us to thee, that we may bless thee as the God of all grace and the God of all mercy. Forgive us and bless thy word to us, for Jesus' sake. Amen.